Hold My Bread, another episode. Good evening or good morning, depending on when you're listening to this. Thank you for listening. As always, Hold My Bread, I am one half of the hosting team. Matt Back is with your, your friend, Joel Bukowski. Hello, breadheads. It's time to gather around and join the Gluten Gang. Bum, bum, bum. Welcome to Hold My Bread, the $3,923.55 podcast. We are in the midst of a bloodletting. Yeah. Wall Street is letting the profits from the last presidential term, from the last six months, wash over the streets of lower Manhattan in hopes, I would guess, of manipulating the presidential election. Yeah, I texted you today like a sucker, and I was like, why is why is everything red? Why is everything so red? And you're like, oh, there's an election going on, and I was like, oh, how could I have forgotten? Yeah, there's only... I guess seven days we're recording. Well, it, we're recording on Wednesday night. So there's actually only three more market days it left in the cycle. And, you know, we're down a little bit today. We you might know if you listen every week, which I think most of you do. Like our our listeners are very stable. They're growing. We appreciate that. But you might notice that it was a little higher than expected. Three thousand nine hundred and something. Yeah, it, it should be worse, but the DraftKings play worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. We bumbled our way through it, but we did successfully. We picked we so basically we sold high on DraftKings. We know that's a volatile stock. We know everything's volatile right now. So we let it. We sold it at like sixty ish, and we bought back in. We held on to GameStop inexplicably for a couple days just to break even. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Um, I think. I liked the move, but having another stock in the move made it more stressful than I think it was Absolutely. worth. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. And I, I think only I have access to the portfolio. And, you know, when I have to make split second decisions, I see it with gambling. Like, I may, I'm pretty good with my choices when I have time to do it and I have reason. But in the moment, it's a little bit impulsive. And I'm glad we're on the other end of it. Yeah. You look like a beetle. I this is a fresh haircut. I got this today. Yeah, you look. Yeah, it's a fresh haircut from 1966. You don't think it looks good? And I, I think you look like a beetle. That I think what I said. <laughs> Yo, I got this. This haircut is less than four hours old. Uh, it's very fresh. I don't know how to feel about it. I did request it. Uh, I do like it, but. <laughs> It's a fashion choice, you know? What can I say? I, I didn't know you had a Dumb and Dumber movie poster to bring <laughs> in with you. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I am petting a tiny bird right now, so it only fits with my haircut. Isn't it great that I'm just making fun of someone's haircut? That You know, that's that's the ultimate privilege. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you were just... Here's the thing, though. I told you, you were gonna, I was getting a haircut, and you were like, finally, thank God. And then I show up with the wrong one. How <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah, you did show up with the wrong haircut. I, I saw it. I was like, I thought it'd be a little shorter. I saw some video clips of you from a year ago, looking crisp, looking fresh. And then this mop walks in. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, I have that problem we all have where one attractive woman was like, I like your long hair. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm going to grow my hair long until an woman, attractive woman says, I don't like your long hair anymore. Yeah, and that's why I have the problem. One attractive woman told me... um. I like how you have the same silhouette as Mr. Clean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, that's all it takes. It just takes one woman to be like, I like you this way. And I'll be like, I will do that way forever. Yeah, and that's how marriage works. You just become the person someone else kind of wants you to be until you resent them for making you that person. Then you go (laughs) marry an 18-year-old. It's a beautiful circle of life, huh? Yeah, well, you know, I paid a lot of money for this haircut. So, How much did you pay for the haircut? You want to take a guess? $65. Well, you're a little high. It's actually $60 with tip. $60 with 60 tip. $60 with tip. But I, so here's the deal. She told me it was 45 for the haircut, but I was like, I'm going to tip her big because times are tough. You know, I'm tipping bigger. I'm trying to be supportive. She's nice. She did a good job. I, I, I like her. So I was like, I'll give her, you know, $60. So I'm not a hero, uh, you know. I'm just a guy. <laughs> you 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 tipped the amount you're supposed to. Yeah, what that's a guy. what I mean. That's what I mean. I, I'm not a hero for doing what I should have done, you know. 
<laughs> wait, wait, what bar- barber did you go to? Hip, uh, it's the it's Irene at Hipcat Barbers, uh, barbershop in uh, I don't know if it's technically Greenpoint or Williamsburg, but it's great. She's a great lady. She's very nice. We got the caught up. She caught me up. She told me all about her some of drama between her friends and her friends. I like to hear about people's drama like that doesn't involve me. Like her friend's boyfriend is like an asshole, and I get to hear all about it. And I'm like, he is an asshole. That rules. Yeah, so that's what nice. was he doing? Oh, uh, you know, he was just messing around, dressing around. He he, she was showing me a picture of him, and he looks like a psychopath. Like he he's got those crazy eyes. You know, when you see somebody with crazy eyes, he's got those. And I told her when I left, I was like, "Don't you worry. If you go missing, I've seen his face. I'll I'll come looking." So that's was, good. Well, yeah, Irene, exactly. we're we're holding a good thought for you. You yeah. did give out the location of her workplace, and then implied she might be in danger. So yeah, good for you. Um, turns out giving me strep isn't the worst thing you do on this podcast. I didn't give you strep. I had strep throat. The you did th- not have strep. I, I I got strep throat two days after sharing a you microphone did not, with did, you. You did not get strep throat. Did you dig? Did you go to the doctor? Did they give you antibiotics? No, I then don't. you did not have strep throat. You have to have you have to have antibiotics to get rid of strep throat. I they gave me antibiotics to combat it. You, I don't need it. I'm old school. I went in the sauna. Oh, I I'm sweated old, it out. I'm old school. No, what are you, no, get the fuck you out. hydrate. You go in the sauna. That can solve all of life's no, problems. Either. No, no, you did not have strep throat. You just record a lot. You did not have strep throat. I did not give you strep throat. You cannot combat strep throat. You, what are you going to tell me? I combated a strep throat by weightlifting and and oil. He's like a forty year old man. Yeah, you eat a lot of. Sm- Smoked fish. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Well, I nice. I needed an, all. I needed was a compress, and I was fine. Hey, you know, there's nothing. You, you eat some salmon. You go in the sauna. Yeah. You'll be a healthy Scandinavian. Yeah, give me a tuna fish sandwich, and I'll be okay. Yeah, I never gave you strep. I was fine. I wasn't contagious. The day we recorded it, it had been 48 hours. It's fine. Uh, my haircut's good. Your haircut is uh, the same as always. You know, there. And I could grow hair if I wanted. To. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a little delusional. I I ended things a little bit early, but that's I I have the a great bald guy personality. I pull it off. It's better. true, you do pull it off. I ha- and I you know what? Since I lost my hair, I get checked out so much more often. I don't remember what you look like with hair. I don't know if we ever friends. I, I you. always it was always messy. I always would just brush it over to the yeah. side. I never styled it. I always wore I had it. it was nothing to me. I wasted it and it's gone. Yeah, but whatever, that's fine. Um, well, should we dive into the episode? Yeah, so we, um, in the throws, we are doing an election special here. So we always talk about, and one thing we have actually been more successful studying than anything else is how investing correlates to the calendar, to events, and what bigger pe- tentpole is there than presidents and their impact on the stock market. Right. And it, It's come up a few times on this podcast, I think, just building towards this, obviously. Yeah, and you know, a lot of it has been kind of maybe things will go down with Biden. But you know, now that we got into the research, I am more optimistic about a, a Biden presidency for reasons that we're going to get into. I see some historical correlations that I really like. But let's do an overview. So we kind of there is the theory that oh, the Republicans more or less, they operate the country like a business, mm-hmm. and it's less government. And a lot of the more egregious things, a lot of these programs that are cut, that's just in search of more balance along the bottom line. And, you know, the president, they influence the economy, they set legislation, they nominate their own secretary of the treasurer, they pick who's in charge of the Federal Reserve, who you can fight for a perfect credit score, and they basically make different monetary policies, They who they pick as the chair, that kind of, you know, just as like your defense secretary will be more hawkish or dove-like, that's how they are with monetary policy. Right. And like all presidents, they want to lead during times of economic expansion, but that's not the case, you know? Like James Carville said it best. He's like, what's the campaign? It's the economy, stupid. So... I, I almost put that. I I was gonna put that in the uh, in the outline, and I noticed you had already had it. You had already added it in. It's a great quote. Yeah, and like if you were actually, we're only gonna focus on elections from two thousand here. But for just a big picture thing, the most successful Repub- presidents in terms of the stock market 
Um, Eisenhower has the first two entries here. First term, 70% total growth. Second term, 34%. The best Democrat is the Kennedy Johnson, followed by LBJ. And there were some surprising people. Like, I didn't expect this, you know, that the most successful claims it's not Eisenhower it's not Reagan how you would expect it's actually Clinton and Obama the top spot belongs to Obama the stock market basically doubled and there's some reasons why you know he in, he inherited a real mess with that he gained office right when that housing crisis was hitting we were right. in the throes of the great recession he was the guy to put out a stimulus package and you know but it, what is surprising is how bad Bush did. 9-11 has a role in that. And really, it's gone up over during everyone's regime but Bush. Well, I and I, I, I did some research on this. I know you said we're going to mainly focus on the 2000s, but uh, the, the Clinton administration is interesting because the during that time, they had the... That was like during a big tech boom, you know? That was when like Google and Amazon were listed on... I, I might be skipping ahead on the outline a little bit, but like Google and Amazon were listed on the stock exchange for the first time during Clinton's administration. He kind of inherited a good market. Not to say that he didn't like have tax cuts and things like that that made it easier for him, but um, he did kind of inherit... A, it didn't... Am I, I mean, I might be wrong with that, but didn't he kind of get a kind of a thriving economy with all the jobs being added through tech jobs, like, again, with Google and Amazon and things like that. But other than just, like, the, the tech boom, the bubble had not burst at that point, so people were making money and were hiring all kinds of people for all these tech jobs. Yeah, and I, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think the at the very there's two ways to view this coin. Did Clinton and Obama do a lot of things correctly to stimulate the economy get us out of a deficit yeah they absolutely did did bush maybe inherit a lot of issues and get some bad luck in terms of the economy i think that's true as well so both both sides of the coin can be be correct here yeah i um and i think it's interesting to the I don't know, I because I, we talked about this before in the podcast about how, what was it, I don't remember the exact years we used, but when you talk about people, like you said, investing in, in McDonald's and, and investing in these companies, it's such a an early entry point. It's very interesting to see how that looks now, looking back on it. And now we, we do kind of operate under the hypothesis, the early entry point, it does not exist for us right now. If you know something... Everyone knows something. This is the information age, and that is already priced into it. Right. By the time that by the time your average person has woken up on a uh, Monday morning to hear the news, that's already been factored in. That's already been well aware um, by people, you know, miles away, year, hours ahead. Um, it's like trying to c c capitalize on on so many of these booms and things like that. It's it's impossible to capitalize on them because the people that have really made the profit are way ahead of you, moves ahead. Yeah, and so basically when a new president takes office, since 1930, average stock market will go up like 10% in their first year, 8% in the second, and stocks perform better in the year following a president election when the incumbent wins rather than when a new president comes into the office. So that's one of the reasons people are saying like, you, like I remember my dad saying this to me where we got into a political debate, blah, 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 and he goes on and on. And the debate ended with him just saying, all I'm saying is pull your stuff out. If, Bi if, we, if it looks like Biden's going to win, pull your stuff out before he wins. You're going to take a bath. Is that what that is? That's what that is. That's what that is basically, right? Yeah, but you would never pull your money out anyway. We're buy and hold investors. Yeah. You keep it in there because the one way you can beat every recession is to just keep your money in the market. That's true in the Great Recession, Great Depression. That's true in Black Monday. That's been true in the Great Recession in 2008 and the whatever the hell we're living in right now. <laughs> right. Well, it goes back to that thing where it's kind of a joke, but we say it before in the podcast is it's not a loss until you sell. You know, ride it out. I'm down like a motherfucker today. I'm down I'm, in my personal portfolio. I'm down a couple thousand dollars, but that's just the way shit rolls. You know, it's uphill. It's downhill. That's just the way it goes. You know, it's not a loss until you sell. I believe that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing, though. Our, our Some of our picks did really well today. Yeah. Twitter and Pinterest, like 
tying Twitter to the election, I wish we were a little bit more bullish on there. Yeah. They've basically doubled in price. Yeah, but you were actually, it, it doesn't suck too because you, you were 100% right. The reasoning behind it was so right. You, were, you, you really nailed it. So that's at least something. But, and you know, it's not about nailing it one time and going all in. It's like you slowly accumulate your nut and then, you know, this is going to come around in four more years. Like these plays are always viable in an election year because we know this has such a volatility on the stock market. And my finances, they're a little tighter than they are normally. If they weren't, if I wasn't getting my gambling fix... I think you'd maybe buy some volatility options on the S&P 500 and you could sell them, buy them on Friday, sell them on Monday. That could work. Today might have been a good day for that, honestly. I didn't look into it. I don't I didn't I didn't actually check like the UVXN or whatever, the the v, VXX or whatever. I didn't check any of that today, but that could have been a good play today. Um yeah, I mean, the VIX is, yeah. I mean, last week the VIX is let's go a month ago. A month ago, VIX Bottomed out at about $22, and today it closed at $27.12. So, uh, I mean, you know going into this these next couple days with the election coming up, like you said, what, three days left, uh, you know, things could get worse before they get better in a situation like, you know, with, with especially with, what, 79 days is when the January 22nd, 21st is when the president is officially confirmed. The next couple of days are going to be very, very wild, and uh, I don't see anything wrong with throwing a couple of dollars at, vol- at volatility because I don't think today was the bottom. I don't think we hit. I don't think we scraped the bottom on the on the red out. And I do want to just point out a mistake I've made that you know was in regards to what you're talking about volatility indexes. Those stocks, when you buy them, a lot of times they expire. So those aren't like buy and hold things. Like if you buy them and you get them at a low point, you might be stuck having to sell at a loss, at least in my situation in the past. But again, we're trading on Robinhood and they're just taking your money. (laughs) Right. They've got $500 of mine they're holding that I impulsively bought my put option on DraftKings. It's going to net me $90 in 2034. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that could change. That could go way higher. It probably won't, but it could. So let's let's take a trip back. Let's close our eyes. Let's yes. go back four years ago. I got a full head of hair. Matt <laughs> still knows what to do with his. Yeah, and right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to work, bounding at the prospect of Hillary Clinton yep. taking the Oval Office, but it doesn't happen. Trump shocks the world, and... You know what? People are crestfallen. I'm working the next day. People are crying. We got a lot of libtards in New York. and um, We're surrounded by them. You know, it actually, it paid off pretty well with with the market. It, it went up considerably, welcomed him with a bang. There was like a global panic overnight. But by that Wednesday, the, the Dow went up 257 points, which is like, decent s&p went up like 500 nasdaq was on 1.1 percent and like that was significant not in terms of like those are being a huge growth but that panic for trump being elected was mitigated and within 12 hours of, of him being elected right so that's what kind of paved the way for him to have such momentous growth in his first term up until covid there was such a there was such a huge like a panic immediately. I feel like the last four years have just been us moving from one panic to the next. Yeah, and it, I mean, in the world, there's always a new panic being imposed. You just got to get through it. And like, yeah, I, I mean, I say a 12 hour window. I'm looking at the charts right now. They had been sold off and recovered in non-market hours between 8 a. 8 p.m. and 3 a.m. when Trump gave his victory speech, you know, the Dow lost and recovered 500 points. I mean, that yeah, and that's, that's a, I mean, what an amount. Yeah, and like, it, it, we did great here, but, you know, a lot of people in international markets like Japan and Mexico were hit hard, and like, Trump's like rhetoric, that's where it can be really wreak a lot of havoc on the global markets. Well, and I don't know if this this might not be relevant at all, but I do remember this this sticks out in my head so vividly is the whole thing with like 
when Elon Musk tweeted out like funding secured, we were good. The stock shot up like a crazy amount, and the SEC fucking railed him for that. They were on his ass. But meanwhile, Donald Trump he tweets and posts and just makes these crazy claims that affect the market in such crazy ways. And he doesn't get investigated. He can't be in trouble. He's just ma manipulating the market and getting away with it. Meanwhile, if a CEO says the same thing and it affects their stocks, everyone loses their mind. And it's, it, it's so funny because Trump ran as what? Oh, the, the, the outsider. He's yeah. not in, in the pockets of these big lobbyists in Wall Street. And you know what stocks really soared when Trump was elected? Banks, big financial institution, Chase, Morgan Stanley, um, and then biotech and prison companies, two things that were like on Hillary Clinton's radar. Right. Suddenly, oh, for-profit prison. The important part about that sentence is for-profit, so right. it's all good. Right. What is it for? <laughs> for-profit. For putting it in my pocket. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing with two. Well, one of the whole things with Kamala is like, and my sister and I have made jokes about this forever about... Kamala, everyone, and no, we're not the only ones, but the, when people talk about Kamala Harris being a cop and all that stuff, and it's like, that stuff is very funny to joke about, but it's also like, is it kind of true? It's like, her getting elected, do you think Do you think if Biden is elected that prison stocks and things like that are going to rise? I mean... <laughs> um, I think it's kind of a, a status quo, because he has someone on his, like the person he has tapped for, Secretary of the Treasury, is from the wall street establishment she's got ties to international trade with china and has made her bones in the obama administration mm -hmm. which is like i think they're going to be in the practice of like the establishment democrats like i mean they're the business people here they put on a different front and then quietly it's business quos business as usual right right and so a big reason why things spiked with Donald Trump was um, he one of his platforms that, you know, of course they were hypocritical because that's just kind of how his, he does business. You know, you have tell enough things. He rolled he promised to roll back Dodd-Frank. And you might be wondering, who's Dodd-Frank? Who, who the hell is Dodd-Frank? I didn't know Anne had a, a slow-witted brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anne Frank. I know her. Who's Dodd-Frank? Yeah, that's why they found Anne. He just kept banging pots and pans together. Yeah. It's not the new year, Dodd. We need to be quiet up in this attic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what's past curfew? We, I, I had a room growing up in my house when I was a little kid. Uh -huh. You got through it through my parents' like closet. It uh -huh. was a full bedroom. And they always called it the Anne Frank room. <laughs> what I a didn't, fun! What a fun, cute way. I didn't know who Anne Frank was. Yeah. So what was in that room? Just uh, a bedroom? Yeah, we had like a futon in there. We had guests stay there, and we always made sure they'd be real quiet. Yeah, be quiet. It's part right. of the room. That that's like a, if you call it that, you can't really have a guest book for people who stay there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing you keep on. Let you, like fugitives stay there. Yeah, we gotta have, that, have the diary of the Anne Frank room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's what we welcome to another episode of the Diary of the Anne Frank Room. So I one of the big Republican things for growth. It's not any real policy. It's actually lack of policy. It's deregulation. That's the real tenant. That's where Ronald Reagan made his bones. Right. And that's where Donald Trump really has a lot of similarities. Right. He, I feel like he modeled his whole thing a little bit after that of him being like, I'm going to deregulate left and right. Oh, absolutely. And like for all the ineptitude that is in front of the camera, like there's a that's a little bit of a smoke screen because the reality is Trump signs a ton of executive orders, over 200 just related to finance. And Dodd-Frank was something that was, you know, implemented by Obama to stop financial crisis. And it told the SEC about just kind of like monitoring risk, getting rid of the risky der derivatives like credit default swaps, commodities, futures, the very thing that was responsible for the 2008 financial crisis and it, it's also telling like different agencies um hey you got to monitor your credit properly and trump didn't gut the act but he increased the size of which a bank is subject to regulation and it's like a bank needs to have 250 billion as opposed to 50 billion which is 
a pretty big standard. And even then, yeah. the Fen Federal Reserve has the discretion to just change the regulatory standards, which is important. And you would never figure that out unless you put it together that one of the biggest pieces of financial policy a president puts out is appointing that person to be in charge of the Treasury. Right. That's like a, it is such a, it almost, I don't want to say simple, but it seems like such an obvious thing. But the president, obviously, you're not just voting for the president, you're voting for the president and the people he's going to appoint. And the people he's appointing are affecting your lives in some ways more than he is. Am I wrong? Is that wrong? No, I think that's absolutely true. And that's why, you know, when we follow the presidential race, we look at where the lobbying action is. And so let's go to 2012. Let's close our eyes. We'll travel back. I've got full head of hair yep, down to my butt. Oh, yeah. I'm, you know what? You know where I was 2012 election day? This is crazy. This is a bit of a tangent. I was a mover. Go off. I, I worked a job. Mm hmm. And I worked with a guy who loved moving. Mm -hmm. And we went down to Washington. Live to move, move to live. That was his motto. Yeah. Everybody's moving for the <laughs> weekend. <laughs> Every comic in New York is a mover. That's just how it goes. Uh -huh. But we had a move down in Washington, D.C. Uh -huh. And I'm like, yo, it's election night. We got to soak this in, feel the vibe. And mm -hmm. he was very, he's like, nah. And he was like, yo, man, I don't know who these people are, but the Obamas are pretty serious about us moving their couch. Yeah, we were moving Obama out, actually. We had to move everything back in when yeah. he, <laughs> he won election. <laughs> we were hired by so the, the presumptive Romney family. Yeah, the Romneys were like, we'll pay you to move them out. And you were like, you got it, boss. Yeah, tag, you got it. You got it. So we went and we're driving back. Soaking we, in the city, D.C. during the election. No, he didn't want to do that. He's oh, like, he we got to go back to New York. And we stopped for like a quick like bite on our way out of town. Mm -hmm. Get some freedom fries for the road. The van doesn't start. Oh. The van won't start at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, a full-size Sprinter van. And the people who own these moving companies, they're no, they know they're exploiting the workforce. They know that we are just trying to get quick walking around money. Right. So they're, they're not like, I'll take it to a mechanic in the morning, get a hotel room. They're like, all right, we're going to send down some guys from, from here. Just wait with the van. Yeah, four hours later. And the van couldn't turn on. It's November. It was freezing. We were under a, meet, a moving blanket, farting for warmth, waiting for these dudes to drive down from New York City. And they finally get there, and we're not allowed to ride back in the cab of the truck. So how do you get back? We had to stay in the Sprinter van on top of the tow truck, freezing our asses off for like 12 hours oh, straight. Hell no. That was the 2012 election for me. And that was kind of how it was for the stock market. The Hell no. stock market on Obama's re-election, S&P down. Everything was down roughly 3%, which is crazy because Obama got re-elected not basically on the strength of his economy. People made a ton of money in the market during the Obama administration. And that's due to some lucky timing on his behalf, like... He, he did a lot of great things. He did, he implemented a lot of legislation that really protected people. Dodd-Frank, the Stock Act, which stops um, our representatives from insider trading, which was legal till 2012, and I would argue is legal till today. Yeah, which <laughs> still is legal, uh, not technically, but kind of, if you look close enough. Yeah, if, in, if our representatives insider trade now, like they all did during COVID, yeah. we'll tell them it's wrong. Right. You're being investigated. Don't worry, we won't. We won't find anything. But you're being investigated. You're like, Fuck we'll, off. yeah, we'll make your ownership of a WNBA team kind of annoying. Yeah, <laughs> we're about to be a kind of annoying problem for you, but we'll go away. God. Yeah, and this was all nervous because Obama he didn't have great tax incentives for corporations, right? And all this reaction was just related to one concern in his agenda. And that's kind of the weird part in looking about this. You, it can be positive or negative. You never know which, because they put out thousands of like takes and pieces of like proposed legislation while they run. They're never reported on by the mainstream media, but they exist. There's the underlying policies already written in a lot of instances. And just a bit about the corporate tax rate really resonated with Wall Street.
yeah, I I remember um, when Barack Obama was. I know that you're talking about the 2012 election, and we're gonna, we're working backwards, right? 2012, 2008. We'll go to the 2008 after this. Yeah, and I think like it's it, the Obama ones are kind of linked, I believe. I, yeah, I agree, but I I will never forget the. I was in high school during 2008. Uh, 2012 to 2008 was a big. It was an interesting jump because um, that was the first time I was really active is with voting, and uh, to see them back to back years, I don't feel like the as far as my. I mean, granted, at the time I was what 18, 17, whatever. I didn't notice a change in the economy that drastically for me personally at that time at the age I was. I don't think I feel like a lot of things changed for me that much. Yeah, and you honestly, these really are just a couple percentage points on what your balances are in certain accounts. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, the Trump administration and the recent events, that's the rare instance where you are seeing real lives affected by economic policy more out in the open than they would otherwise. Right. 2008, I'm a sophomore in high school, you know, what can we do? I, uh... <laughs> I, 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 I do think back about like gas prices. That was a big thing. And we're going to go back into this, but like with Bush and all that stuff is I remember coming to age and getting my license and learning to drive around the time of like big, big concerns about oil and gas prices. And I remember hearing people talk about gas price was when I would this age, I could get a gas, a tank of gas for this much. And I would, when I was this age, I could get a tank of gas for this much. And it's like, I feel like there's enough of a gap in our age where you probably, when you think about back high school, it's like to fill up a tank of gas, it was probably a pretty big jump between you and I. I think it's interesting. Yeah, but it's always jumping around. I mean, that market is as manipulated and volatile as any of them. Like the big crisis that oil producers got into this year where their futures were at a negative price, that's because they produced more oil than they could ever possibly sell, so they have it in reserve. Of course, yeah. I mean, this is the year, I feel like this is the year that people have really talked about electric cars and things like that, so these oil companies are generating normal amounts of, quote-unquote, normal oil amounts for them, but it's like the demand is not there, so they're just sitting on stockpiles of oil right now. Yeah, and that story, we, we followed that for a little bit. It kind of fell off the face of the earth. There was, like, possibility that, like, a lot of Wall Street firms were going to have to collect billions of barrels of oil or else lose millions of right, dollars. Right, exactly. I want to know what happened with those barrels. Yeah, who's sitting on those barrels? Yeah, we got to we got to track those barrels like we're, you know, watching a novelty act at Niagara Falls. That's right, exactly. Where's the guy? Where's the one with the guy in it? Not the one that went over the cliff, I'm sure. And in okay, so pessimism in in the market. You'd think, "Oh, it's selling off. People are getting rid of their stocks." But on big institutions, they don't sell off. They don't keep cash. So you can actually track what happened with the 2012 Obama plummet after he was reelected. He, that was people selling their stocks, moving it into bonds. And that's actually a historical show of pessimism. You don't like the government, you're putting your money into a government-backed security. How about that? Yeah, exactly. What a what a it's like cognitive dissonance. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's such a, like it's that's one of the things that bothers me the most about people that rage against the government, where it's it's such a bullshit thing to be like, I'm doing this. It's like, well, this is what you're really doing. They're like, but it stands for this. And you're like, but you're really just doing this. Yeah, and I mean, who is to say what actually affects our lives? But you know, they just have a different roadmaps. Like with these large institutional like firms, like where they put their money changes on a daily ba- basis. So their finances, if you really examine them, you can tell it tells a roadmap of corporate attitudes. And here it's like so much trepidation about the legislation Obama was going to potentially pass. And I'm glad like we wouldn't have been able to have this conversation a year ago on this podcast. So good for us, huh? Yeah, I mean, right, yeah, absolutely. We've grown. We're growing 100%. Yeah, and like Obama, he had a, a, a better tax rate on the wealthiest. And, you know, he also had like a pretty blue, like Congress and House of Representatives. So there was a worry that Congress would allow the tax rate on capital gains and dividends to rise. And again, you see that concern? Capital gains and dividends are something no one earns. 
Right. That's the money that's a byproduct of having money. And the backlash is they don't want that money taxed at a higher threshold. I have a question. This is vulnerable time. When Obama, we're talking about 2012 Obama, when he was uh, president, was there a Democratic Supreme Court? Um, or a de- Democratic Congress? There was a Democratic Congress, okay. yeah. And right now, we're it's Republicans. Republicans are in charge of the Congress. And... Okay. Okay. I'm just kind of talking out things while I think about them in my head. Uh, so that's also an interesting thing because I feel like, again, I don't claim to, I'm like still learning about the economy and, and investing. So I'm not going to pretend to know about the government, but with a, with a democratic president and if the Democrats have in, have control of Congress, it seems like a huge advantage as opposed to now when it's like we have a Republican president that's, less than ideal and we have a republican congress which is less than ideal given what we believe it's it's interesting to see where the democrats presidents and the democratic congresses line up and how that affects the economy together but there is a cohesion because both parties have drastically different views of how to arrange an economy and how the funds should be appropriate, but you see the cohesion because every Treasury Secretary, Republican, Democrat, they always come from the banking sector. They've always had COO experience. Mm -hmm. That's true of Trump. That's true of Bush. That's true of Obama. And it's going to be true under Biden or, I mean, Trump might have like his car wash or something (laughs) to it. Bobby Bowden, Scott Baio will be Secretary of the Treasury. It'll be great. Well, it is. it does go back to what you kind of said. <coughs> I just lost my whole point. It goes back to kind of what you said earlier. You said something earlier. Shit. I can't remember what I was going to say. Was it about keeping warm with the fart? No. Was it, was it about, about Anne Frank's brother? No, it wasn't that. Ah, there was something the else. The pessimism of moving your money into government-backed no, securities. I can't remember what it was. Son of a bitch. I had a good point. I do you know the government doesn't view our DraftKings stock sale as a stock sale? What are they, What is it? If you sell a stock and you, because we sold it at a gain, right? Uh-huh. And Hell because, yeah, we did. because it fell back down and we rebought within 30 days, the government views that as a wash sale. And so in their eyes, we never failed to, failed, we never, we don't have to pay taxes on it. So it is like, I, I need to research it a little bit, but I think it's a semi-legal form of like, seems a little money laundry to me. I mean, what do you think, why don't criminals launder their money in the stock market? They do. Why wouldn't they? I guess is the, not that why don't they, why wouldn't they? It seems like such a, be, such a good idea. You just take your money, you put it in something like we've talked about before, like Vanguard's, so that it can't lose. There you go. And what 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 are bloated sectors that you could actually do money laundering in? I know we're going to depart a little bit, but you know you got to look at the live ticket industry, the live event industry. There's something that's just never sat right with me about like big ticker broach brokerages, big event things, Live Nation. So I wonder where the money really is with those things. And I, you know what? I've had some listeners kind of propose ideas to me about that. So I am kind of tipping my hat to it there. So they talk to me and there are legitimate questions about why a company operates in a certain way. Yeah. Interesting. I, that's funny that you've had people, you've had listeners reach out to you about that. And I, I like that. Yeah. I'm following their lead. And like, I asked for the underlying docs and like between you and me, I just haven't had the the time, like, the podcast with my academic schedule, it's more of like a react to the world rather than dig deep because my right. whole life is digging to deep. To predict, yeah. It's hard for us to... That's the thing. That is the thing about this podcast is we try and... Not that we're... we're you definitely shouldn't get your news from us, but we are more of a reactionary podcast as opposed to like where we try and predict. And sometimes we do predict and get it right, but for the most part, I'd say we're definitely more of a come in after the explosion and, and assess the damage sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's we're not... 
really trying to be right and wrong and tell you where to put your money. There are general guideposts. There are certain ideas that we've learned over the years that benefit our own lives that you might have across. And like, if you really want to talk finances with me, yeah, hit me, hit me up. Like I will just talk to you about a robo advisor, but you put 90% someplace safe, you never touch it. And then you play with 10% of your money. This financial planning should be universal, taught in schools. Like we shouldn't be the ones telling you how to fix your credit score, but whatever. I was going to say that. It comes back to our episode from last week. It's like the week, the episode we had last week, that should be showed in schools. Maybe not. It might not that be. It yeah, might, I, might not be that. Yeah, I, I mean, you're not allowed within 500 yards of schools, so I don't yeah. know if we could show it. Even audio-based. Um but it is a thing where it's like, it's crazy to, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I guess we digress to not know anything about the government, accuse a major corporation of embezzling and uh, implicate ourselves and then lose all credibility. Back to the show. <laughs> so Obama, 2008. When Obama was elected, things were bad. I remember I was a senior in college and it was the day after that crash and my professor's like, yo, you guys don't realize this. The world changed for you. And it kind of did. Like entering the workforce when things were shitty, mm -hmm. like that's something that it took me like seven years to bounce back from. And like I think people in our age bracket, like me specifically, mm -hmm. I'm 31, but until recently I was 34. So people my <laughs> age, like we've been in the workforce about 12 years and we faced two major recessions. That's tough. Yeah, it's but it's whole, it's interesting too, just because you go back to a certain point and it's like it's that's one thing that's so crazy is that people don't care about what you've gone through because it's like you go back far enough and it's like people are like I lived through the Great Depression, I lived through World War One, I. I lived through the Great Depression, World War One, and World War Two. It's like so many people have lived through, through so much. It's so insane to just comprehend the the effect of the stock market in general and finances in general and the economy in general. And it's just so mind-blowing in that way. And it, it moves a lot quicker. Like earlier in this episode and in past episodes, we've talked about how it's very hard to keep up with the market and the conversation right now. And like we just talked about when Trump was elected in 2016, how quickly the market bounced back. And there were these little variations based on like Hillary being cleared in the email scandal. And in 2008, those same interactions we're moved so much slower. These charts are just of an absolutely different time period. It's days and weeks as opposed to hours. And that's just because we communicated so much slower back then. Right. Well, it goes back to what we're talking a little bit about as far as the Clinton administration goes, is if you really look at, and again, we talked about this earlier, but the whole idea of like being able to invest in McDonald's and Walmart and Amazon and Apple at the beginning when they were unveiled, insane. So being able to be around for like the tech boom um, before the bubble popped, before all of that, I mean, fortunes were made. So much money was made. And, you know, we're, we're calling this... Because right here, we have the recap from the New York Times. On Obama's first election day, Dow was up 3%. It broke the record for gain on an election day that was previously held when Reagan beat Mondale. That's a pretty big gap, too, from from Obama, from Obama Reagan to Obama. What, Reagan was, what, 89, 80, yeah. 88 or something? From that to Obama? That's a, big, that's a big range for a jump that big. And you know why it's Reagan? It used to be that you could only, you couldn't, the stock market couldn't be open on election day. It was a national holiday. It was a banking Wait, holiday. It had to be closed. Is the market open on November 3rd? It is. Wow. But But they changed that in 1980. Wow, I didn't know that. Wait, so, so it wasn't open until then? Until 1980 it was closed? Wow, yeah. it should be, I don't know if it should be closed. I don't, I, the market should be open 24-7. I vote for having the market open all the time. There's no downtime. Money's always moving. And you, you know Never what? Stop. Guess what? Guess what? You know what year major financial institutions started trading stock options, day trading at a high volume? What was it? 1980. Oh. <laughs> They found a way. The Google to, 80s. The, the big, so this, just looking at this information, you can discern 
there wasn't really a way to make money on the election day. But once there was, the market was open on election day because both sides turns this. And back to the Obama thing, the stocks, they were up on the election day and they fell as speculation turned to who his secretary of treasury would be. Who, oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that is a huge, we just mentioned it earlier, but the, 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 you're voting, I mean, again, you're not just voting for president, you're voting for the people that they're going to select, and it's like, it goes to show you when Donald Trump picked Betsy DeVos as the head of her schools and shit, it's like, that's brutal, you need to look for who's going to pick the uh, treasury, who's going to determine what your money's worth, how much is worth, how much is a dollar worth, that depends on who's you, who you elect, not directly. But, you know, yeah. And then, you know what? Obama did a great job during his first term from an economic perspective. And he did a lot of like huge legislative gestures that were very polarizing at the time. We talked about Dodd-Frank, which was halfway through his first term. But he started it out with a giant stimulus for the recession. He bailed out the auto industry and the market cap doubled under Obama. And you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of, like, maybe those companies went public under Clinton, but Obama saw a lot of growth. That's when, like, really the digital age started. So companies like Facebook, mm -hmm. Netflix, Amaz right. Amazon's real ascent happened during those, those years from 2008 on. Right, right. It is interesting to think about like kids nowadays versus because well, it's like we talk about this a bunch. And again, this is like the third time I brought it up. But being able to invest in McDonald's early uh, is a lot like we watched the rise of Amazon. We watched the rise of Facebook and we've watched the rise and fall of all these different companies. And I just wonder if people looking back on 2020 uh, are going to see what we are looking, are going to look back on 2020 the way we look back on 2012 and 2008 and, the, and to, in 1996 and 1990, you know, all that stuff in the same way that we look at the McDonald's stock and stuff like that, the way we look at Amazon now. It's, I mean, now Amazon is crazy. It's like a behemoth. But years ago, people were looking at Amazon, not even maybe questioning it. Some people weren't, at least. Yeah, but, you know, just looking at this data, it, so I, I think Biden will win. Uh-huh. I am going Did to you vote. I voted. I'm I'm working as a poll worker, so I'm going to vote that day. Nice. So I I, I could just, I could just do it on my lunch break. Yeah, that's great. So I do think there are a lot of correlations between Biden taking over now and Obama's first term, at least in terms of the economy. And I will throw in there's a giant caveat with that because the market is not really related to the unemployment rate right now for some right, reason. Right, right, right. They're not tied. <laughs> Historically, I feel like they've been pretty tied, but given everything going on, they're not tied. Yeah, no, we're not leave, allowed to leave the country. Shit's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't leave. I'm cool. Things are fine. And But like it, it, with the Obama, there was this growth, and a large part of it is that he was able to slap down huge pieces of legislation Right at the onset, he had an establishment treasury secretary. So, I mean, the table is kind of set with Biden to really just make a huge financial gesture. Right. Now, these margins are very much manipulated now. There are a lot of figures that suggest that the S&P will roll back for the next quarter. But right. in, in terms of long-term growth... Um, there are at least reasons for economic optimism. Yeah. And I don't feel like, uh, I, I don't know. We've talked a lot about this in the podcast in that we don't, we don't have enough money to make a lot of money. You know, like a lot of people making money during the Trump administration are making big moves and they're making them. We don't, we don't have the rich get richer sort of thing. And I feel like with hopefully, like you said, I, I do, I think Biden is going to win again. People, we thought Hillary was going to win, but I think this is different this time. Um, but I do think hopefully we'll be able to make more money. We've, we've been able to make a, a decent amount of money these last four years. I feel like I've made a little bit of money and I know that's rare and that's unique to me. Not everyone is in that same situation, but it's like, if we can make money during all this chaos, 
hopefully we can make money when there's a little bit more stability in the White House, right? Am I wrong? I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of have to give up on the idea of making money. Like, if I'm going to pursue a white-collar financial education with this fucking podcast attached to my name, I'm never getting a job. (laughs) (laughs) This is the ultimate. No, do not hire. You Google me one time, I'm disqualified in a million different ways. Yeah, I'm a comedian with a finance podcast. You're a finance guy with a podcast that's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm an unemployable finance guy. Yeah. Oh boy. That'll be fun. It'll be nice to go a hundred grand into debt just to get rejected. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been told no for you've been told no for free for a long time. Yeah, but now I have this I have a I have a scholarship and I gotta keep my I accidentally took way too many classes. I took all the hard classes and I gotta keep my GPA above a three two to keep the scholarship. Three it, two? That's I mean, look, my GPA in high school was like a two seven, so it's like fuck me. But three three seems doable. Three two. Three, three two seems doable. That's a B, and, but it's okay. I'm at like three A minuses and a C plus, so I'm right on the line. Yeah, yeah, that's doable. You can do that for okay. sure. Okay. Do we like want? I said, do we want to talk bushy baby? Well, what are we gonna do? Bush one, Bush two. There's a lot of bushes out there. Let's go through the whole George Bush era. Yeah, let's shake down the whole tree. It was bad. Yeah, <laughs> I remember being in high school and middle school during the whole Bush thing, and I remember I remember, remember being a pissed off seventh grader, being like, "This fucking guy sucks. He fucking sucks. No FX and Green Day. I'm gonna kill myself." And uh, it and, was all his fault, you know. And the, I mean, he had the Pets.com thing. He had the Enron thing. Yeah. And then he had nine yeah. eleven, like a year after. So. Yeah. Not dealt a great hand. Yeah, 100%. And he did recover, but at the very end of his, of his presidency, the the housing bubble burst. Yeah. So, I mean, our my workforce as a 34-year-old is similar to George Bush's like economic landscape as a president. He's just fucked on both sides. So wait, which Bush are we talking about right now? 2004 Bush? Um, I think it's the same. I mean, it's just a a nonstop like parade of bubbles. That's true. It was what like four or eight straight years of bushes, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? Six yeah. years. Yeah, that's like the uh, the landscape outside the hotel in The Shining. That's right. Just hedge maze. <laughs> just a hedge maze of bush. Hedge maze of bush. Yeah, and like the numbers that he lost are pretty staggering. Like over the market cap during his eight years minus forty percent. Not ideal. Uh, not what you'd hope to have now. What is it right now? What do you mean? What's the market cap right now? Um, okay, one second. I got to pull that up. Uh, George Bush's final years of service, January 2008 through 2019. For instance, the Dow sank nearly 32%. Yikes. Yikes, yikes, yikes. But, you know, that's what, Bush, that's what the Bushes do. Uh, December 12th, the S&P index was down 4.24%. What industries were important in uh, in 2000? And, in, in 2000? The oil, right? This kind of goes back to what I was talking about as far as oil. Uh, that's the thing that sticks out to me the most a lot in high school is, you know, I got a car for the first time. I'm putting gas in my car. I'm hearing people complain about oil prices. Okay, they, they don't use great metrics to express them. It's like, it's like, 37 million million is the metric they use for equity market value, but it's basically gone gone up three and a half times since Bush was in office. But Bush, I mean, he did place one really good protective piece of legislature and like there, there's a huge thing. And we study this in school all the time. The Sarbanes-Oxley Act, like Enron, WorldCom, there was no accountability for <laughs> having to do your accounting. So before then, you could give your shareholders basically whatever financial reports you wanted. You just mislead anybody you wanted, basically? Yeah, it was absolutely, it wasn't fine, but it was fine. Right, exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't going to get you, it wasn't fine, but it wasn't going to get you in trouble. Yeah, and so like that piece of legislation, it's just based on the WorldCom economic policy. And, you know, so that's been something that while I kind of piss and moan about the stock market, 
and like companies like Tesla being overvalued, at the very least, we have the right materials to judge by. So I think that's a huge step, and I, that's a really cool thing historically. Yeah, I can, I can definitely agree with that. Yeah, and um, I know when there was like, so there is talk like there might be a delayed election here, and... Well, that's the thing I keep seeing is people are talking about the election is November 3rd, but the, the transfer of power isn't until like January, right? And there, it might be a, a disputed election. In which, which is like 79 days. Well, I mean, last time, it, like in Florida in 2000. With Gore Bush. Yeah, it went from like November 7th to December 12th, I think. I don't have the figures right in front of me. And mm -hmm. I think it went down like 4% total. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so that's that's a big dent, and like you might be in for it, and like that's the thing. Like we see the stock market, it rallies around any point of view, but the one thing the stock market never rallies around, the one thing that sinks it, it's not any piece of information. It's the it's the uncertainty. It's the lack of information. Right. Uh, that's a good. That's like a, I don't even. I don't even know if that's a metaphor, but like truly, that is a that is a definition of what's going on with the stock market with the world right now. Is like so much stuff is unknown, and the unknown is affecting the stock market and finances so much. It's it's just like being a person. The thing that affects you isn't the bad thing. It's, it's the, the anxiety about the, the bad thing. It's the potential of the bad thing. And yeah. The, I mean, the, the the market. It's a living, breathing organism, baby. It's just like us. It's controlled by all these outside forces. Send it at messages. <laughs> yeah. Listen, brother. Uh, let me tell you. The, the crabs are coming, and they're here to control your mind. But, yeah, it's going to be a wild week. Um, be careful out there, folks. If you're flush right now, hey, go have some fun. Yeah. I mean, as of today, stuff's on sale. Carnival Cruise Line is, on a, is like $12. This is, yeah, this here, I'll go through some fire sales right now. I think Carnival Cruise Line is a solid investment. Uh, Carnival Cruise is way wicked, super stupid low right now. Carnival Cruise is low. Uh, Neo kind of has paid off for a little bit. That's one of the only things that I have personally that's kind of up. I think Neo has high potential, $27 right now. But Carnival Cruise Line is down. Uh, Gap is is down. Um you know, it's a sea of red, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, but that's the kind of thing, like you just said, if you're flush with cash, if you've got the money, take advantage right now while you can, because things are red and they're very red. I don't have anything that is, I didn't, I don't have any, anything in my personal portfolio that closed up today. Um, but that's not always a bad thing. That just means shit is on sale, you know? But come on, dog. Sometimes... You just got to do things that make common sense. Is this our last time going to the movie theaters? Are we ever going to do that again, Matt? Yo, I was gonna, here's the thing. I normally would have said, absolutely not, movie theaters are done. But you did convince me a couple weeks ago when you said, like, it's too much of an asset to just let go away. Those buildings exist. Yeah. Bezos, Steve Jobs, yeah. he's going to come back from the dead and buy... AMC is like two fifty a share. Right. You throw two hundred bucks at it. You f you pretend you got a flat tire. Right. You forget you ever spent it. Yeah. And who fucking knows? But there's really high upside yeah. there. Yeah. And 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 I think we uh, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or if this was just a conversation I had. But we're talking about the gathering of the financial jugglers. I don't know if that's going to happen. And if that doesn't happen, I know that AMC is doing these things where you can rent out the movie theaters for private events and if the if if i can't rent us a cabin for my birthday then maybe i'll rent out a, a, a i almost said a casino i'll rent out a theater we'll get people over we'll we'll go to the casino we'll I keep saying casino we'll go to the theater we'll watch movies we'll play video games on a big screen i mean like you said the, the space is there the buildings are there that might be a good play i might throw a hundred dollars on there just in case um, cause it seems like a thing where I don't want to compare the airlines to this, but it's a whole thing where it's like, there's so much potential there. Are they going to just let it die? No way. Yeah. We're a culture that is built around a model of sitting around and staring at a screen. Yeah. Luxury. Bet on the model yeah. uh, that's built on. And they push staring at a screen. And they push back the new James Bond movie. I'm very excited about that. No Time to Die. That's been pushed back so much. And they keep pushing it back because they keep claiming they want it to be a theater release. So it's like this. Granted, it is only one movie. What but if Buffalo Wild Wings bought AMC? 
They turned movie theaters into know. Buffalo Wild Wings. Every know. screen was a different game on NFL <laughs> Sunday. You 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 don't do you just do one. You buy the flagship Times Square movie theater. You There's turn in Times Square. You turn it in you, they just buy a couple branches. They they buy a little bit of infrastructure. They make those their flagships. That's an experiential business for the ages, baby. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea. It is interesting. I think that, uh, you know, I wouldn't put it past a Dave and Buster's or like an, I feel like, I don't know why I, I, I lump Dave and Buster's and Buffalo Wild Wings into the same category. Maybe cause they're both a couple of fun time. Companies. A lot of, yeah, a lot of Midwestern mall, yeah. a little bit of yellow in the design. Yeah, absolutely. Um, forced masculinity. Yeah, exactly. Are you a gay boy? No, of course not. That's why you eat your wings and you watch your shows here because you're not. And now come play our arcade games. Uh, yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings and 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 um, Dave and Buster's very interesting. I'm very curious to see. I could see with the uh, advent of like virtual reality, movie theaters seem like a good space to pair. There's something there to pair movie theaters with virtual reality. There's something there. It's beyond me, but there's definitely something there for it. Yeah, and we did this takeaway of presidential elections, economic policy, and the ramifications of a very big choice for our country that kind of relies on all of us. And while we urge people to vote, we urge people to empower themselves with financial knowledge the real take of the way we would like to proffer from this episode is that Dave and Buster's is interesting. Yeah. Those are two cool guys. Right. Dave and Buster, two friends you embarking think, in a business. Uh, who do you think would a game of two and two basketball? Dave and Buster or Ben and Jerry? Oh, <laughs> boy. Probably Dave and Buster. The Dave and Buster's got those shoot machines, you know? They got, they've been practicing their jumper and that rim's moving. They're Come on. Oh, yeah. All the way. Dave and Buster's, they're a winner. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's. I know, you know, it seems too obvious to pick, but Ben and Jerry's, they got their tie-dye shirts. They got their ice cream full bellies. Maybe they're on mushrooms. I don't know their life. Yeah, they, they've learned from Bill Walton. They'll be fine. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. All right. Peace, bros. Bye-bye.